Hi everyone, welcome to the Beyond Deadlines podcast, where we tackle challenges that schedule leaders come across on a day-to-day basis. My name is Greg Lawton, and I'm the CEO of an AI schedule management company called Nodes and Links. And I'm Micah Pipo, and I'm a scheduling manager for Intel. Each podcast is designed to give you frameworks, tactics, and strategies that you can implement right away. And today's challenge is increasing predictability. So, Micah. You are the schedule manager overseeing the construction of a new $3 billion sports stadium that has to open in 2027. The project is in early concept phase. How are you going to help deliver it on time? Oh, this is a good one. I'm already starting to get sweaty palms. Let let me start out by asking a couple questions Mm -hmm. to help kind of frame up how I would attack this problem. When I see sports, I guess I'm wondering, you know, what kind of sport, where in the world, what's this maybe attached to? This is in Brazil. It's a sports stadium for the Rio Olympics. Let's say they're doing it again in 2027. Do I get tickets? (laughs) (laughs) If it is delivered on time, yes. Now, now we're going to get the building on time. I've always wanted uh, to go to the Olympics, never had the, the, the possibility. Okay. Um, is this a singular building? Is this part of, you know, and sometimes in the Olympics, they do multiple buildings. What, what are we talking about? Good question. This is the first of seven stadiums that they need to build. The second one will start three months after the start of this one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, but, you know, that's their conceptual plan. But I mean, these stadiums probably aren't necessarily tied together because it's not like one stadium gives the other stadium anything, or is there something I'm missing there? Okay. No, this is the Olympic stadium. This is the athletic stadium. The others are things like the swimming arena, et cetera. This is an isolated stadium. Right. And I'm operating from the owner's perspective. You are. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think just, you know, initially when you start working through the concept phase of something this big and large, you know, where I start out with just in my mind is let's get the roughest and highest level of timelines together as, as quick as possible for what we're thinking. Um, and so to me, that would just be a very basic framework walking through the steps of construction. You know, so you have your in early funding phase and approval phases, you have your permitting, your design, your construction, your handover, right? You know, Mm -hmm. get some framework together so we can start talking about something, you know, and you can use that. You can do that by pulling in the project team, um, pulling some initial historical information. I mean, they've been building Olympic stadiums for, you know, (laughs) since the Greek and Roman era. So you're going to be able to have some way to get data and information. I mean, you may be able to pay whoever did the last Olympics, you know, hey, pay, give me all of your schedule information. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, here's, a, I don't know, 10, 20 grand or something like that, right? But get that initial high level timeline together. And then once I have that, you know, we're going to start looking at attacking that timeline. And the way I think about it is, you know, to me, I want to try and hold as much owner contingency as possible from the beginning. And so if this is a a, a four-year build, I'm looking at turning this into a three-year build, a two-year build, 
and then adding on a year of contingency and putting that under complete 100% lock and key. So no one in the mm -hmm. world would know that I'm actually, when I go out to bid, when I go execute this project, that I'm sitting on that much contingency. Now within Olympics, someone's probably going to be able to kind of figure it out, you know, but who knows? Um, and then the next thing that I would go through is I'd go through an exercise of starting to look at what are some of my, you know, fixed durations and what are some of my variable durations? And so mm -hmm. a fixed duration, to me, a classic example is a permit. You're not going to really be able to change a permitting timeline usually. You know, I mean, obviously mm -hmm. there's some things, but that's something that's fixed. A variable duration would be something that is, hey, this is a prefabrication timeline and this is a stick built timeline. You know, this is a two crew timeline and this is a six crew timeline and start looking at, okay, where are we going to actually be able to tweak the dials and where are we not? Um, you know, I think that would be my first kind of a run through of it. And then by laying all of that out, we get a good sense of where the project's landing. You'd be able to twist some of those fixed and variables into mm -hmm. risks and opportunities. Um, and then you'd be a good projection about where your contingency is. That should give the team a strong framework to then go and start executing the next pieces of the project. You know, that's finding a design uh, designer, determining contract strategy, buying any and any long leads early enough. I mean, if it's a huge sports stadium, my, my thought process is most likely steel is going to be the biggest um, conundrum um, mm -hmm. in this environment. You know, there's a lot of commodities, but that's how I would start to tee it up, you know, to help build it. And the last piece I just add is this is the perfect time to get your culture and your attitude right of your team of how the project's going to be planned and scheduled, you know? at this early phase, if you can instill, this is how we're going to plan the schedule. It's going to be important. This is how we're going to break it down. This is crucial. So it's going to go through, it's going to bleed through the contract. It's going to mm -hmm. bleed through incentives. It's going to bleed through who we hire and procure. You know, if you just make that so important up front, I feel like that investment then just carries on throughout the project. I actually completely agree on that point. The projects that I've seen that work out the best are actually the ones that have the most clear purpose, clear in what they are going to do, but even clearer in what they're not going to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we set up the project here for success. Um, and it's, uh, you know, the construction starts, biz starts, and we're into the process. Design is 30% complete. Construction's 10% complete. How are you going to deliver it on time? So it looks like uh, we're doing a fluid design or a design in parallel. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I should have brought that up earlier on. I, 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 I bonked. And for something like this on the bigger projects, I would 100% always recommend getting as much design done as possible before you actually start construction. Um, you know, it, to, to me, it's, it's, it's almost like uh, guessing what animals in a box. And if you do the, if you don't do the design, if you do the design in parallel, you're just, it's a mystery. It could be a donkey. It could be a snake. It could be a lion. Mm -hmm. um, you just never know until you open that box. And so I'm always pushing teams to do that design ahead of time, unlock all of the benefits from it, from prefab to, um, you know, contracting strategies and things like that. But since you're going to make this challenging for me um, and we're 30% design, it, so you need to have had set up 
an initial, this is how we are going to track in the design to make sure mm -hmm. it's achieving on time. Hopefully you went and optimized the design for delivery and said, this is how the packages are going to be broke out to then allow us to go build in an efficient manner. Um, hopefully you've, you know, we've, we've set up some contractual um, agreement that, you know, depending on who's doing, let me ask you a question. Who's doing the design? Who's doing the design? So uh, let's say, let's say it's a joint venture between the designers of the last Olympic stadium and a local design company, but the local design company has just quit the joint venture. Wow, you're gonna, you're gonna drop that little uh, grenade on me. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, so if we were going through this process, 30% in design is complete. And um, talk to me a little bit about scope. Who is gonna mm -hmm. do kind of what scope? The, pre the um, previous design team and then the local design team, who's gonna kind of cover what just on a high level? So it was the previous design team were going to consult and offer advice. The local design team were actually going to do the vast bulk of the design work. Now the local design team has walked away. Uh, so, but let's say that the, the consultant design team has offered to step in because it's a very large international design company. And they, they said, we can step in and we can help with this. Yeah. Do we know, do we know why they walked away and are they done done? They walked away because of competence and capability. So the designs that they were producing just were continuously rejected and they started to get to a point where they weren't going to make money on the project. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I think so from my, you know, vantage point as a, as a schedule manager, you know, there's going to be tons of like hot fire volcano eruption type, you know, events that happen on these projects. And this is obviously in one of those categories. So the thing, I think the first thing you have to do is start ascertaining what are the different levels of impact the situation could cause downstream. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're going to start running potentially just different scenarios and different risk scenarios to show where this is going to actually cause impact. And I'm really glad I socked away all of that contingency earlier because we're going to need it. Yeah. So first off, there is obviously a design strategy that was set up and that was hopefully to optimize the construction sequencing. You know, I, I think immediately you want to have that large design firm. We just got to carry through. So whatever the next couple packages is up, how fast can they mobilize and get those next couple packages out the door? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm guessing it's it's probably going to be, um, you know, probably exterior cladding, you know, probably some early electrical, early mechanical plumbing utilities around the site. You know, if we need to keep construction moving forward, so whatever we can do to tackle those packages, um, let's do it. I, I would also look at scenarios where we bring in potentially where, wherever the number two or number three local bidder was um, on that design that lost. Mm -hmm. And they supplement with local resources. I think the issue is when you start building internationally, there are lots of local permitting, lots of local requirements. Yep. There is language barriers, you know, designs in English or they, in, you know, in, in Portuguese, you're going to have hurdles there. 
and it would benefit to supplement them in, you know, and, and, and maybe they take a smaller scope than the previous company, but you know, how can you, how can you fold them in? Um, and then I'm going to package up that into an analysis to say, Hey, listen, these are our options. This is where it fell out and this is where it's going to land. But then in addition to that, I'm going to look at opportunities for acceleration out of this, you know, where potentially we have some ability to accelerate that we may want to pull the lever now instead mm -hmm. of waiting down the road. Uh, and so that's, that's where probably my, my focus would be. I really like that last bit, actually. What was it? I read one of your articles recently and it was a Steve, Steve Jobs quote. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it was something along the lines of winners see opportunity in every situation, something like this. And, and you're exactly right. When you're this early in a project, you've got options to accelerate. And the, the most, the most obvious one that, um, I've seen when uh, I've watched Olympics being built is go and ask for more money and just throw money at the problem to have it solved. <laughs> but yeah. let's not go down that route. Let's not go down that route. Okay. Let's imagine a little bit of a different scenario. Let's imagine that now design is totally complete. Your strategy and the strategy of your, your colleagues work perfectly. Uh, the design's totally complete. Construction is 50% complete. The date is approaching. How are you going to deliver this on time? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think there's, I think it's the, the McLeamy curve. There's a couple of standard curves in construction that basically says the beginning of the project, you can really impact and change what's going to be delivered. <laughs> and the closer you get to the delivery date, the ability to impact the end date is extremely challenging. Um, even if you throw zillions of dollars at it, you're just out of time, basically, mm -hmm. as you start to come into that ending phase of construction, where my mind is always focused on is how is this building going to be turned over? How's it going to be commissioned? How the punch list going to be took care of? Because in an Olympic facility, this isn't necessarily like a data center or a nuclear facility where you can kind of turn over a lot of times, like 80% of the building. You're like, hey, we'll come back and get the landscaping later. Or, mm -hmm. oh, maybe this, you know, part of the building won't be fully functional, but we can operate this other part and then finish it later. The Olympics, you, you got to be done, done. And so that becomes even more paramount of how that end gets finished. And so to me, it's just setting up a series of task force and teams within your construction program to go out and make sure that they're ready for the end of the building. You're, you're going through what your commissioning checklist is going to be. Your turnover checklist is going to be when is government officials like the fire department going to come in and do their inspections and their, the building occupancy mm -hmm. permit going to come in. If there's a, uh, an Olympic regulator that's got to come in, you want to be just so dialed in on that in piece and be ready for that also to be fluid, you know, cause things are going to change that that becomes easy. And then on the front end, and, and probably what most people are thinking of, you need to be tracking the progress of your project. And you need to be tracking multiple different variables when you're in in-flight construction. So you can look at a piece of schedule, and that'll mm -hmm. have a variety of pieces of information in it, depending on how you've built it. Great. I think everyone's probably well aware, can Google how to go do that. You want to be looking at if your financials aren't ran through P6, you want to be looking at your cash commit uh, and spend curves. That's another variable that can probably go up and down. You're going to be want to be looking at your actual labor and resourcing. Is mm -hmm. there enough people on site? Is there enough you know tracking on site? You know, I've 
turn towards modern solutions there. You know, I'm not looking for people to fill in clipboards. I want to have BLEs and people's headlamps and, and I mean, headwear badges and be tracking actual bodies and areas. You know, I mean, that's, you want to get down to concrete, finite information. You know, I, I'm looking at uh, the, some quality metrics. So mm-hmm. stuff we're installing passing, because if that's getting out of hand, that's going to start pushing it. I am getting boots on the ground and I am taking those schedules and those plans and pull plans, right? You want to be checking a PPC in that daily, you know, did we deliver plans? I'm getting boots on ground and I am walking that job site. I'm physically grabbing the schedule in my hand and saying, you know, uh, hot dog booth number three, are we done done? You know, and mm-hmm. looking at it and saying yes and verifying that the information is being reported is coming up. Um, because if you put in that work and that sweat equity, then, you know, and you have that robust set of controls, you know, as this goes forward, is there any surprises? Because if you allow surprises to fester, they then become way more expensive to deal with later down the road. Okay, let, let me just double click on that for a second. So you you are tracking uh, progress, money, <laughs> productivity, quality, everything. And let's say because of your diligent work, you have uncovered that you're missing electrical fitters. And by the way, it's rainy seasons coming up. So you might not be able to trust your productivity rates. What do you do under those situations? Very specific situations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think on the, I think you need to figure out first how much you're missing it by, mm-hmm. you know, and, and have some sort of data or historicals and pull it together quickly. You know, you don't need this to be a very advanced analysis, but what, what is the level of problem? You know, if we're looking mm-hmm. for a thousand electricians and 800 are showing up, that's one thing. If we're looking for a thousand electricians and 500, 300 are showing up, that's another scenario. And so depending on the level of that would, is going to shift the sort of solution that you're going to go pitch. And so if you're at, let's just take the crazy scenario of you need a thousand electricians, Mm -hmm. you're looking for 500. At, At that point, you know, things could go really, really bad. And so to me, Yes, you can pay incentives and you can overtime and uh, offer, um, you know, night shifts and and do all of those sorts of things. But I don't know if you're going to make it in that sort of regard. And so in that case, you know, and this goes back to the very beginning of the when we were planning. Do you have an ace in your sleeve for this scenario? You know, do you have some prefabrication facilities nearby that could potentially, you know, that hot dog vendor stand number six? prefab the electrical and then only the people on site have to worry about bolting it up. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Can you go beg and borrow from the other Olympic sites that maybe had already established some electrical contracts or doing early electrical work or whatever and bring, and bring those in, but you need to ascertain what is that issue that, and how big of a problem it's going to be. Right. Because it may be, Hey, it's rainy season. You're not getting electricians in, but you still socked away a ton of contingency and maybe you just let it roll. Maybe you don't Mm -hmm. spend the dollars because you said, Hey, this is, I mean, it's going to be a problem, but it's not gonna be that big of a problem. And maybe you can reconfigure work around it, you know? And, And I think that's where you really, really have to look at who is overseeing the execution of your construction 
and do they have the capability to adjust to that? You know, how is your, is your GC prepared to go handle this, your CM or whoever you're, you're rolling through, um, and, and look towards them to kind of just make sure that, yes, we're going to now deliver this late. We understand we stocked away contingency, but how can this kind of roll out and be, um, you know, work out in the best way for everybody? You know, what your answer there has actually reminded me of one of the uh, mentoring points that uh, someone taught me a long time ago, one of the first people to ever teach me project management. And it was actually more of a, um, an emotional point. He was like, when you are leading projects, nothing should emotionally surprise you. Because if you take that stance, you don't overreact. But at the same time, you don't underreact. And actually, the question that he always asked when brought with a problem is, why do I care? Yeah. And that's, that's essentially what you're describing here. Yeah, it's a perfect lens to look through most problems. Because uh, I think looking through it that lens, you're not going to necessarily rush to a knee-jerk reaction or re knee-jerk mm -hmm. solution. And let's be honest, in these projects, whilst you have to make quick decisions, you're not generally talking decisions measured in seconds. You're talking decisions measured in hours. And if you're talking decisions measured in hours, you can go to a room, close the door, and write out your logic and actually think about the problem. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think more potential solutions to weigh against mm -hmm. is, is going to give you better outcomes. Exactly. Okay, well, Micah, congratulations. You deliver this Olympic project on time. People are looking to you now around the world to learn from your Olympic success. Well done. Well, I think I have enough gray hairs to not do it again, but I'm excited to go to the Olympics uh, and, and, and watch some very cool sporting events. <laughs> Yes, they award you one free ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you're not coming with me. So, <laughs> Okay, well, before we wrap up, is there any final thoughts you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, I think it, um, to me, walking through and talking about some of these challenges, it, it's good for people, and this even kind of shifted some of my frameworks, but to kind of think through some of these frameworks of how they're working and executing projects. So often we get stuck in a very similar cadence of how we're doing things in construction, because this is how mm -hmm. we've done it forever in data centers. And I've worked here for five years or nuclear or, or however it goes. And so maybe to think about different projects and how you would go execute them and all of the little nitty gritty frameworks you need to go use them. And I think you can then take something fresh like a fresh perspective back to your project by walking through these. I completely agree. Okay, then with that, we like to keep these shortish and right to the point. So we're going to end it there. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Beyond Deadlines. And if you like listening, please feel free to subscribe and recommend to some other people. Okay, from, uh, from me, I'm going to say, See you on the next one.